Welcome to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi, Alan. Good morning, Fred. Good morning. It's a hot one. In the midst of a, a very hot week around these parts, we've got some pretty hot news to talk about this week. And joining us is Jerome Luton, Jerry, the Principal Research Investigator for National Study on pedestrian, rider, and bus operator safety. This is looking at a pedestrian avoidance safety system, automated technology that will be installed in some buses. Pierce Transit in Washington State is among those taking part, really is the principal agency taking part. Jerry is a a former senior director of NJ Transit and has done work with the U.S. Department of Transportation as well. Thanks so much for joining us, Jerry. Thank you, Fred. It's good to be here. Great to have you, Jerry. To start off with, Jerry, give us some background about the work you're doing now in Washington State. Uh, quick quick history. It Actually, it all started from a conversation I had with Alan some years ago when Alan was talking about uh, safe driving cars and said, Jerry, this stuff is all going to pay for itself in terms of, of resolving insurance claims. So he got me interested in looking at the financials from New Jersey Transit which I did, and I found that we were paying out significant amounts of money in terms of insurance claims for bus uh, accidents. Uh, From then, I I actually got some information on the National Transit Database, and I found that every year, about 15 to 16,000 people are getting injured, about 100 people are getting killed by buses, and about 700, over $700 million are being spent in uh, in claims and casualty and liability expenses. So that's, that's kind of what got me started on this. And today you're, you're working as an independent consultant and have been hired as the, as the principal research investigator for this study. That's, that's correct. Um, when I had, had looked into this uh, some years ago, I was approached by uh, a fellow uh, named Jerry Spears, who was deputy director of the Washington State Transit Insurance Pool. Uh, I had never heard of insurance pools because New Jersey Transit was self-insured. But he invited me out to speak with his board. And then uh, we proceeded to to get a grant from the Transportation Research Board to investigate collision avoidance warning technology. And that that led to uh, continued work out there Pierce Transit was one of the members of the, of the insurance pool. So uh, they su- applied for a subsequent grant from the Federal Transit Administration, uh, and they were awarded $1.66 million to continue research, and this time to extend it to doing automated braking for buses. Now, you have some great partners involved in the project, including Virginia Tech's Transportation Institute, and the University of South Florida Center for Urban Transportation Research, and the University of Washington, and the list goes on from there. Um, tell us a little bit more about how this is all going to come together. Yeah, this this has uh, been a, a really great team that I've been working with. Um, Pierce Transit is is the grantee from the feds. They've also put up a significant amount of money on their own. Uh, there is a company called DCS Technologies, Inc. from uh, Indiana, they're providing the hardware. The 
the Washington State Transit Insurance Pool is uh, managing all of the research partners and I re uh, report directly to them as principal investigator. We have the three universities, um, the Center for Urban Transportation Research uh, out of uh, University of South Florida is actually under direct, directly under contract with the Federal Transit Administration. And they have, uh, they're doing oversight on the project uh, for the feds. And they've been a wonderful partner on this as well. We, we really look to them for, for help and advice and they have been really wonderful. Uh, University of Washington uh, was involved in a prior study and Dr. Yinhai Wang, who is uh, director of the uh, US DOT Transportation Center there and runs a laboratory, uh, has been involved. They are doing some important work on what we call detecting false positives and false negatives. That's one of the, the biggest issues with a lot of automated systems. Uh, a false positive is uh, when the system reacts and there is no real threat. Uh, a false negative is when the system doesn't react and there is a threat. So there needs to be a way of validating the system and determining what the rates are for false positives and false negatives. They are doing some other things as well. Uh, Virginia Tech uh, has been involved. They run a test track and I was out there last week and back in May where uh, we have been conducting alpha testing on the collision avoidance warning system. Originally, we were going to pair the, uh, the automated braking system with a, a vendor supplied uh, collision avoidance warning system. However, that, that um, didn't happen because there were some contractual issues. So the company that's doing the braking DCS uh, is developing their own LIDAR based uh, detection system. Uh, Virginia Tech uh, has its smart road uh, test facility uh, Pierce Transit actually shipped one of their buses across country from t from uh, uh, Tacoma, Washington to Blacksburg, Virginia, and the bus is still out there and they're using it uh, on the test track with with um, uh, movable programmable pedestrian dummies and uh, inflatable cars so that we can actually run tests of different scenarios. Uh, they ran 143 different test scenarios with buses. Uh, right turns, left turns, square turns, uh, having the, the mannequin propelled across an intersection using a belt uh, with different speeds. Uh, uh, Virginia Tech is also going to be doing other things for us, including serving the drivers to determine the degree to which they can trust the system. They're also doing something that, that hasn't been done, to the best of my knowledge, since 1935, and that's that's test the impacts of emergency braking on standing passengers. Um, a lot of automakers now have automated uh, collision avoidance and braking systems on their cars, but there's a big difference when you get to a bus. Um, a bus, first of all, has an air brake system rather than standard hydraulic brakes. And secondly, all of the passengers uh, are can be are, are unrestrained, number one, and may be standing. So it's really important that we we understand uh, what are the allowable braking rates that we can use so that passengers don't get injured in trying to avoid a crash.
Really interesting points. Alan, you want to jump yeah, in? Yeah, that's a really major point that, that the study is doing is dealing with standees. And standees are, are substantially different um, um, domain than what the, the normal uh, car collision avoidance systems deal with. Uh, many of those systems basically wait till the, that last second and then uh, slam on the brakes and all hell breaks loose inside the vehicle. Uh, but you can also um, tighten seat belts and close windows and so on in that last uh, 1.6 seconds uh, uh, that you have before a crash. Uh, you don't have that opportunity in a bus. And so you have to be much more vigilant. You have to be able to anticipate better. And you have to be able to deal with the situation earlier in, in the um, collision process uh, to both avoid the collision and avoid uh, hurting standees in the bus. Now, there, there's not a driverless component to this, I, I don't think, uh, Jerry. But uh, I assume it's everything that you're going to learn it would be applicable when we get to that point anyway. Well, I, I agree. Yeah, the um, I think it's going to be a long time before we we see a, a fully driverless bus. Um, I think uh, the workload that the that a bus driver does is only about thirty percent for the driving task. There's a lot of other things that that they're responsible for in terms of dealing with passengers and the fare collection system. But you're absolutely right. Um, and in fact, I recently read that one of the low speed shuttles was. Uh, uh, had a, had a, a um, uh, what appeared to have been or may have been a false positive and abruptly stopped, and uh, a couple of passengers uh, who were not restrained did fall off the seats. So this is something that clearly needs uh, uh, work. It needs to be applied there too with the low speed shuttles or with with uh, any of these vehicles uh, where the passenger isn't restrained uh, with a seat belt. Um, uh, so this is all very important uh, work um, that uh, that uh, addresses um, the near term issues of trying to provide um, and an additional safety um, uh, with respect to all this automation. And in a big bus, when you have a lot of passengers, uh, as Jerry said, um, the driver does more than just drive. Um, the driver is an ambassador for the company and and, it, and is providing as assistance to the passengers. And as long as you have many passengers in the vehicle, you can afford to have a driver. Uh, the issue is, is if one wants to extend the service to places in which there is low demand, where you're not going to have a lot of people in the in a bus, uh, then uh, that's where you can um, really want to apply uh, and 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 make happen the, the driverless technology. Some things are fairly obvious, but uh, can you put in simple terms for us, uh, Jerry, what what the goals are, and I guess what the timetable might be? Yes, um, the project um, is roughly four years long. Um, the uh, the stage it's divided into several phases um we had a, a a fairly extensive period of time for for getting everybody under contract and resolving some contracting issues um when you're dealing with public transit agencies and and public boards uh it takes a long time to get things through uh we then had a the alpha testing phase out at um uh at virginia tech uh that's that's winding up now um, we're now into a third phase, which is called uh, uh, in-service engineering and testing. 
and we are the vendor is equipping four, three more buses. There already is one bus at Virginia Tech that's equipped with with the the uh, uh, sensor and and automated braking package. They just uh, finished installing it on three more buses. These four buses are going to be run uh, in normal service with the package turned off, but collecting data. And uh, periodically, they will they will do some software modifications. So that's ex expected to go for another about another six months. Uh, at, once we're once everybody is is satisfied that that the systems are are working uh, and uh, durable and and uh, uh, the Pierce Transit folks will uh, will then uh, allow 26 more buses to be equipped with the systems. Uh, at that point, we'll have 30 buses. Um, those buses will then enter a, a period, what we call stealth mode. And in stealth mode, the systems are, are the sensors are operational, and they are sending signals back to a logger. And so they will measure uh, the, the frequency with which uh, the systems uh, are, are in a target range of, of a potential collision. Uh, and, uh, and they will also carry uh, the driver ID and the route ID. So we'll be collecting data on what it's like uh, in riding these buses. Uh, when that stealth mode period is concluded, which will probably be about six months, we will then go into an active mode phase where, where the systems will be turned on and they will have two different modes. They provide warnings to the driver, and if the driver doesn't react, they will initiate deceleration and braking. So in a sense, we're collecting data uh, before and after data so that we can compare the performance. Uh, and all, all the while, we will we'll have four of those buses that will also be equipped with a video processor supplied by the University of Washington that will allow us to keep track of false positives and false negatives so we can establish the rates for those. I should also add that Virginia Tech is going to equip two of the buses with um, passenger motion uh, detection that will um, uh, be able to uh, measure g-forces and look at how the vehicles are braking both under manual control and automated control so we're looking at about another 18 months of of uh testing and and uh, we want to get a at least a full year in and then the project will wind up with with the final reports and what we call technology transfer which will be opportunities to share the findings with the rest of the transit industry through different committees and reports and webinars. Really interesting. And if I were to ask you about the, the eventual affordability of all this, you're going to go back to your original conversation with Alan. How can we not afford it? Ab absolutely. I mean, right now uh, we have a vendor that, that is developing some technology. And uh, at, at when we get down the road, we're going to have to uh, get a price for commercializing it. That, that's one of the important things. This, this, this is not just research. The intent here is, is to help establish a product or um, develop, uh, you know, the, develop and work towards a product that can be made available to the bus industry at a, at a reasonable price. Um, I've estimated that um, it's about the annual cost to, um, to a, the U.S. transit industry is, as I said, is about $700 million 
and that's for just the rubber tired vehicles, uh, buses and, and uh, vans and so on. And it comes down to about $6,000 per year per vehicle. So, uh, you know, that, that gives us a benchmark over, over a bus can be uh, kept for uh, um, anywhere from 12 to 18 years. So say, you know, 15 years uh, times 6,000, that's, that's a pretty, pretty large number. And uh, we can, we want to see if we can get a payback on this. Uh, so because these things are not bought in a vacuum or made on a, on a quick decision, all the procurements in the transit industry tend to go before public boards and are done uh, with, uh, with public knowledge. So uh, you got to show the board that there's a return on investment in order to do this. Um, for me, it's it's been great because this is this is a project where there's the potential to not only save lives but to save money. Well, Jerry, as we've talked a long time about this, you know, having six thousand dollars on the table for each bus each year, um, uh, and one would hope that uh, all this technology uh, can reduce. Uh, uh, the um, implied liability of these buses uh, by half uh, that basically says <clears throat> you have three thousand dollars a year uh, to pay for the hardware um, and so um, that's a lot of money uh, especially looking at these uh, with some sort of scale and 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 some finished products so this is uh, this is really very valuable what you're doing in terms of establishing a very fundamental uh, market mechanism. Uh, for the adoption of this. And this is just talking about the money aspect of it. Uh, this isn't talking about the, the quality of life aspect uh, improvement, both for the driver and the passenger. And that all comes from, for free on top of this. So, uh, Jerry, it's nice to see all this uh, progressing, uh, progressing as it should with uh, with a very uh, well-designed uh, uh, process to to fundamentally evaluate um, the value of all this uh, so it can go forth and be adopted uh, throughout the industry. Well, I agree. And, and uh, thank you, Alan. It all started with a conversation that you and I had and, and stimulated by your thoughts on this about what, five years ago. So uh, well, maybe actually a little bit longer than five years ago, Jerry. Yeah. Yes, but it's taken this amount of time, and I think you know others are involved with this uh, um, unique re and and uh, the insurance industry is is finally maybe seeing that this is value, and and in fact, um, why not have this be the motivation uh, for this improved technology? Not only does it uh, uh, make money and save money for everybody, but it also improves. Uh, the quality of the service and uh, the quality of the work environment for for the drivers uh, who have a very tough job. Uh, I think as we both noted a couple years ago, there were uh, at least um, uh, two bus drivers in New York City that were arrested because uh, they um, had a collision with a pedestrian. My goodness, putting people in a job where where if they um, if they just behave uh, just like a normal human uh, bad things happen and you get arrested i mean that's that's not a very good work environment uh, so um, besides all the the safety and and the money it really does um, make the the job of driving a tr- uh, a bus um, uh, much more um, attractive and and uh, and and reasonable 
And how do you put a price tag on the value of uh, far less accident victims? Absolutely. So, you know, this is this has nothing but good uh, associated with it. Well, moving on to some of the news, Alan, uh, first up in the latest smart driving car newsletter is Tesla's vehicle safety report, which says the Model S, X and 3 have achieved the lowest probability of injury of any vehicle ever tested by the U.S. government's new car assessment program. You've taken a look here at some of the details. Well, I mean, they put out their numbers and the numbers as they put them out are really impressive. Uh, The only uh, challenge is, um, you know, are are they somehow uh, cooking the books? And uh, given... um, Given Elon Musk and Tesla's uh, past uh, history in terms of proclamations, everybody uh, tends to uh, uh, discount uh, these numbers uh, because um, because they uh, because of their past behavior. Uh, but uh, boy, they're impressive, and um, and it'd be nice. And as I proposed uh, several times, and I'll propose again, uh, what Tesla really needs is to have an independent evaluation of their data uh, associated with the the accident and safety aspects of autopilot uh, while used and not used in their vehicles. Uh, The great thing is they have the data uh, no other car company has the data that they have. So, in fact, they have data to support uh, whatever performance measures uh, these systems have been uh, dealing. What they lack uh, in, 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 in their proclamations is, is they lack trust. Um, uh, very few people trust them. I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe I shouldn't say very few, but but trust is not uh, is not um, uh, the um, solid ground of and foundation of Tesla, and it's a shame here because in fact maybe these systems are really this good, and if they are. You know, the numbers that are provided there that, in fact, there's one accident, I assume that's a crash for every 3.27 million miles driven uh, under autopilot is really impressive. Uh, And even uh, with autopilot turned off, but with the other active active safety features that are on on Tesla's, uh, that number is 2.19 million miles driven, apparently, as is claimed by Tesla. It would be really good if there was a good housekeeping seal of approval on these numbers, an independent evaluation of these numbers that could actually um, uh, have uh, people actually believe in them, uh, as opposed to um, having people like me saying, well, I'm not sure. Uh, But these are very impressive numbers. Uh, so um, um, congratulations, um, sort of, uh, to Tesla on this. And Musk, in the meantime, has announced a $1,000 price increase for the Tesla full self-driving upgrade that's going to go from 6000 to $7,000. Uh, yes, I guess, uh, I guess it, as I write, it must mean that the system is good, that it's selling. Um, if it wasn't selling, maybe they'd be discounting it. Uh, but the, the price on, on, uh, on autopilot has been moving up and down. And apparently the increased pl- prices for this summon feature or uh, that, um, that, uh, 
Tesla will be releasing, and they better be really careful for that. With that, you know, if somebody wants to summon their their Tesla driverlessly to come to them like a puppy dog, you know, you throw a bone out, go get the bone and come back. Uh, hopefully, people do that just on their own private property. Uh, they don't do it on Cleveland Lane out here in front of my house or on public streets. Uh, because um, if if they're about to do that, it better be damn good. And uh, and I hope that um, that Tesla doesn't go out and even try that stuff. Because of course um, uh, they've benefited by the fact that the regulators is, has have pretty much left Tesla alone uh, to do their their implementation of autopilot. So far, uh, they put this summon uh, feature out on public roads. Uh, uh, the regulators are going to come down on them um, in full force. Uh, hopefully, um, Elon isn't that stupid to do that. Right, because some owners, as, as we've seen in the past, are, are perfectly willing to push the boundaries of what they should or should not be well, doing. Well, you know, and, and try to be cute. And that, it doesn't take many. I, most people are, are deathly afraid of all these things and, and, and appropriately uh, behave with them and so on. But all, all it takes is is one or two jerks out there. And, of course, uh, you know, um, uh, jerks abound in our society. <laughs> we'll move on here. Tesla Whoa. has, all, Tesla has yeah, also it's updated. It's hot. <laughs> <laughs> Tesla has also updated its map of supercharger stations. And by the way, they may begin Model 3 production at their new Gigafactory, the Gigafactory 3 in China in November, and that's according to Adam Jonas at Morgan Stanley. Yeah, I mean, it keeps progressing. Uh, they had the very good news uh, 10 days or so ago of of, uh, of selling uh, 95 or delivering 95,000 uh, vehicles in the in the second quarter. And uh, and now with uh, this news of them expanding um, their uh, uh, their uh, charging facilities uh, really uh, uh, throughout Europe and uh, and Canada, Mexico, and the United States. I mean, it is impressive, and, and they're doing it. Uh, you know, it's not uh, Sun, it's not uh, Exxon or BP or some oil company. It's it's Tesla doing it to power uh, their vehicles, and so um, it's an it's an impressive investment. Uh, that they're making and uh, it looks as if um, their factory in china is uh, is progressing along and if they become uh the um, let's say the iphone of um, of electric vehicles in china uh, uh and they um they basically um uh, uh, address that marketplace uh, the way um, uh, Apple addressed uh, the phone, uh, uh, the smartphone marketplace in China with the iPhone. Uh, my goodness, um, uh, the prospects for Tesla look uh, pretty strong. And we're not even going to touch today, I don't think, on, on Musk's efforts to tie the human brain to artificial intelligence with uh, his company no, Neuralink. <laughs> but eventually that could tie in with the Tesla. Who knows? Moving yeah. on. <laughs> I mean, Elon's, Elon's all over the place, which is great. I mean, um, kudos to him. The New York Times ran a report with the headline, driverless cars are taking longer than we expected. Here's why. 
Well, I don't know if they're taking longer than we expected. I'm, I'm not so sure. I mean, it is progressing. We did have a, a major, uh, as, as we talked last week, a, a ma- major Three Mile Island uh, um, uh, aspect associated with all this, uh, with the, the, the death of Elaine Herzberg um, at the hands of, of of Uber and uh, and their self-driving vehicle, and and that really hurt. Uh, but um, in the end, um, it 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 may very well help everything. You know, in some sense, the uh, the Apollo One fire uh, helped uh, us uh, safely land um, uh, men on the moon 50 years ago. Had we not had the Apollo One fire, uh, yeah, we might might have had some other even more drastic um, um, uh, catastrophic events uh, before landing uh, Neil Armstrong on the moon and Buzz Aldrin. So um, uh, one has to take some of these um, hiccups along the way in stride. I think it's made everybody go back and and really uh, make sure that these systems work. In fact, at this point, since we're still at the very beginning of this technology, we don't need to be driverless. Uh, we can afford uh, to have attendants on board. We can afford to make sure that the systems work. We can af- uh, afford to make sure uh, that the uh, false positive and false negative alarm rates are are really low um, before we, we, we pull the, the human out of the loop. But if this is going to be anything but a, a just a, a one-time moon landing, if this is really going to be something that, that's more than, hey, we won some race and we showed that we could do it, uh, now let's move on to something else. If it's really going to deliver uh, quality of life improvements and uh, for, for many and basically um, um, uh, improve uh, uh, how people uh, get around and, and improve uh, our energy utilization and reduce uh, the pollution associated with mobility and, and address congestion. In other words, really have this, these systems come to market. We have to be driverless. We have to get there. Uh, and that, and that's uh, the real value of all this. It's not just to show that we can do it. It's it's to both uh, uh, talk the talk and walk the walk. And that's an interesting point that you made in in the newsletter, Alan, uh, when you talked about the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11. Uh, meaningful, I think, to to you and and all of us. But the the fact that the, this is not unlike Apollo the the Apollo program. This is not a race. Yeah, the, the, yeah. The, this is not a race. This is not just a demonstration. This is this is a fundamental belief that, in fact, we can fundamentally improve uh, one of the, the 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 difficulties that we have with mobility. We, you know, the car has been a wonderful technology and uh, for mobility and society and and all sorts of things and, you know, and, and independence and freedom and all the things that it, it's provided. The unfortunate thing is, is that it hasn't done it for all. And uh, it's ended up consuming a lot of energy and, and, and producing a lot of pollution and, and congestion. And now with automation, it seems as if we have the opportunity to take this, this marvelous mobility system and, and address the, some of its um, 
some some of its faults and and do it uh, do it very well uh, you know jerry's there trying to do it with respect to bus transportation where where my goodness we're just we're there there's they're just uh, the liability and, and of the crashes and 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 the cost of that for an industry that is uh, as i like to say uh, you know um uh, totally bankrupt um uh can't afford to pay that my goodness uh, the, let's not let's not have those things let's use technology to 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 avoid collisions uh not just to mitigate them but to avoid them and to take that and and to progress that into into the technology that that many of us use every day um is is absolutely just um it seems too good to be true that's the opportunity we have here and um, if it takes us a little bit more time to get there, that's fine. Let's just get there and make sure we do that well. And let's not have um, a, 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 a Fukushima. Let's not have an Apollo 1. Let's not have another or another Apollo 1 or, or have, um, have another Three Mile Island. Um, well, uh, Jerry, I know that uh, with... Uh... Public transportation, there, there's long been an effort to provide mobility for all. And that sort of ties in with uh, what Lyft is doing now, collaborating with the National Federation of the Blind in, in testing autonomous vehicles in Las Vegas that will now include blind and low vision riders. You talk about that in the newsletter, Alan. Uh, yes, Jerry, you want to make some comments on that? We we address that as part of the summit, you know, those similar things. But Jerry, a couple comments on that. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, it it, it costs about, uh, well, let's put it this way, for New Jersey Transit, uh, it costs them almost $70 per one-way trip for their disabled paratransit service. And the service is really poor. You have to uh, make a reservation 24 hours in advance, and they give you a pickup window that's two hours. Uh, it, yes, they will send a, a, a vehicle to you that will, will uh, lift you up, uh, but, they, but they can't escort you to the door. The driver has to stay with the vehicle. Um, so we're really falling short in the way we serve the, the disabled community, and we're paying an awful lot for it. I think the potential for automated vehicles that, and, and for what Alan is talking about um, is really gonna be important uh, in, in terms of providing mobility to those who are, are, are disabled and disadvantaged. And we're glad to see uh, Lyft doing this. Aptiv is a partner of Lyft, and, and Lance Elliott, who was on the podcast with us not long ago in, in Forbes.com, as an interesting interview there with the uh, Aptiv CEO. Yes. Alan, uh, you share some thoughts in the newsletter. If you want to talk uh, any more about that 50th anniversary of Apollo 11, we've talked about it some already, but you had some interesting recollections. Well, I mean, for me, it's, it's sort of a big day because I had the, the pleasure with, with my wife at the time to be down there and, in, in at um, Cape Canaveral and, and watched the launch and and enjoyed watching the landing with my parents and in in in, uh, in, um, in in Miami Beach uh, at, at their place. So it, it was it was a big time for me. 
um, hey, and all my degrees are in aerospace engineering. So uh, at the time we were going to Mars. Um, unfortunately, uh, that was a race. Uh, we got to the moon and everybody was bored. And um, all of a sudden, uh, uh, we weren't going to Mars anymore. And all that enthusiasm and all the the hype about doing that, we won the race and everybody went home and I guess had a beer or something like that and said, now what do we do? So um, that's when I got involved with automated uh, transportation systems uh, to basically save our cities and ended up working on that for and continue to work on that. So uh, whatever, but it is a, it is a major uh, milestone um, that, and of course, um, Sputnik, uh, Sputnik was, uh, if it wasn't for Sputnik, you know, my public school would have probably never had uh, what, what was then the STEM programs and who knows what I would have been. I guess I would have worked in the Pittsburgh steel mills, mills during the day and Attended bar at night. I don't know. I guess that's what I would have ended up doing. And maybe now our friend Elon is the one going to get us to Mars. Maybe. <laughs> uh, hey, I'm telling you, he has a great idea and way to do it. No, you know, just you know, use uh, reusable uh, rockets to bring up fuel and load up a a, a, a trans Mars vehicle in low Earth orbit and let's go. I'm all for it. And finally, from the section of the newsletter titled Half-Baked Stuff That Probably Doesn't Deserve Your Time, a story in the IEEE spectrum with the headline, The Self-Driving Car is a Surveillance Tool. Whatever. I mean, you know, <laughs> your phone is a surveillance tool. That's the thing that you have with you all the time. That the, That's the thing that is attached to your hip, and it's watching you. And in fact, uh, coming back from Vermont uh, yesterday, my wife and I were, were listening audiobooks. Uh, 1984, I recommend it highly, uh, although it is really depressing. So, you know, it's it's not your car, it's your phone. Uh, but anyway, whatever. <laughs> and we do it very willingly, don't we? And we do it willingly, I guess. We really do it willingly. Um, uh, um, yeah, we do. I, 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 and people watching me, they must be really bored, okay? Uh, <laughs> I'm telling you. Um, the KGB agent that's associated with watching Kornhauser must be... Uh, well, see, really tracking your location on a, on a global map over the course of a year would make... Most people dizzy, I think. <laughs> uh, whatever. Hey, um, but not some people that work for McKinsey. I mean, <laughs> those guys and gals, I mean, they live in the first class section of, of airplanes. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for this edition. Uh, we want to thank uh, Jerry Luton for taking the time to join us. Jerry, thank you so much. Thank you, Fred and Alan, for giving me the opportunity. Hey, Jerry, it's great having you on, and, and really uh, congratulations on, uh, on the success of, of your project uh, there with uh, Pierce Transit. It's, uh, it's been a long time coming, but it is substantive and, uh, and will make a big, big difference. Thank you. And we're looking forward to, to seeing some of the results, and, and we'll be talking to you going forward. 
You can find us at smartdrivingcar.com, also on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and more. You can ask your smart speaker to play us. Knows where you are, too. You can, you can find my tech reports at textonation.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Have a great Sunday, and thank you, Jerry, and thank you, Fred.